Oh, it's Monday. Uh, right. Mondays suck. And then like, oh, it's TGI Friday. Let's go have some beers tomorrow. Like run away from those people as fast as you can because they are wasting their life doing a job that they hate 70% of their life that they're breathing and on the planet. And to me, that's kind of goes back to what you said about the, you know, you know, you know, stay at home. You're not essential. Like screw who thinks I'm essential. I'm going to do my own thing and I'm going to get to decide whether I'm essential or not. Welcome back to the interview podcast on the Y Millbank Podcast Network from Millbank, South Dakota. This is Craig Weinberg. Ymillbank.com is our website. If you want to see everything that comes out of this studio, go to Ymillbank.com. Click on the podcast button. And at the top of the page is the donate option if you want to help support the show and make it better so we can continue these conversations with interesting people from around the world. And today is no exception. From King's Wild Project. Out of Cleveland, Tennessee, Jackson Robinson is here. The brains and the talent <laughs> and the practice, shall we say, behind King's Wild Project, which is some of the most creative and beautifully designed playing cards that I've ever seen. Jackson Robinson is here. I hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. What's up, everybody? Oh, yeah. What's up, everybody? My name is Jackson Barrett Robinson, the third Esquire of Cleveland, Tennessee, and Cut. That's uh, me. That, My name is uh, Jackson. What's up? <laughs> What's up, man? That's fantastic. <laughs> um, I found you on Instagram somehow in the dark holes uh, of the search bar okay. on Instagram and uh, was completely unaware um, of two things. <clears throat> One, that there was such a thing as high-end boutique playing cards. Uh-huh. And two, that I needed them. That you needed them. So you'll note I started my collection nice. right here. Hey, you got the cut. I, I see did. You got the cut there. I yep, got yep, that yep. in. That, my, you know what's good when my wife uh, comments about it on Instagram because on her page <laughs> she's following it and says things. Um, if you don't know, King's Wild Project, Jackson Robinson... Uh, kingswildproject.com is your website that's current, correct? That is current. All right. Kingswildproject.com. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, you are all over the Instagram and YouTube. You're one of these nut job people that, and I say that because um, I, I've started having to get up early with my kid because he's almost 15 and works at the golf course and needs uh-huh. a ride. Yes. So I have to get him there before He's six. about to not have to have a ride. <laughs> That's the goal. <laughs> he is Well, antsy. if he gets wheels, I guess. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, well, he needs that piece of plastic in his pocket, I guess. But yeah. you um, apparently work well early in the morning. Yes, absolutely. And you have this thing called uh, Dawn's Early Light. D- the D-E-L. Mm-hmm. Break that. What, what in the world early. is that? How? Why did you start that? And how okay. in the world do you do that? Well, um... I started, well, I got the idea for Don's Air Light. Uh, I have to back up to December of last year. I, uh, I was invited to come on a, a, a YouTube live show that kind of was, that's put on by two guys in the playing card community that just kind of uh, do a YouTube about playing cards. And I've been on their show a couple of times and we had always had, and their show is usually like an hour long. 
And every time that I would come on, the first time I came on, our show was four hours long. Mm-hmm. And then the second time our show was six hours long. And we would just, you know, we would just, you know, BS back and forth about I mean, half the time we talked about playing cards. But and then people were joking around in the comments and they're like, you guys should do a 24 hour. Oh, live. Man. You should do a 24 hour live show. And, you know, you don't say those types of things. And to me and not expect me to come on. Like, let's 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 uh, let's bring it. Yeah. And uh, so I said, let's do it. We'll do a 24 hour live show. I'm game. And so in December, uh, it was our last, it was one of their last shows of the year. And so December 18th, the last year, we, we did a 24 hour live show where I, uh, they, they had scheduled a bunch of guests to come on and then I was going to be on. And during the 24 hours, I was going to design a deck of cards from nothing to finished by the time we were finished. I mean, but by, by for the 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And so I woke up at, we started like an eight, eight o'clock AM on like a Saturday and we, we rocked it for 24 hours and I finished a deck. I finished an entire deck of playing cards. It wasn't just like a, a simple deck. Like it was, I mean, I did a lot of illustration for it and everything. And when I was finished, I was, you know, when I was finished, I was kind of like looking back on the, the experience that I had. And I thought to myself with fondness. With fondness, yes, yes. <laughs> I just looked back on it and I was like, "Man, the it was it was almost like, like I was high on a drug or something during the twenty four hours. Like my mm-hmm. endorphins were going. I was excited. My mind was focused, but it was more to do with the fact that I was like on the chopping block of like my words of like putting out there. You know, I could design a deck of cards in twenty four hours." And I had all these pe- all the viewers watching me, so it was a it was a whole different dynamic than I had worked in the past. And I had done lies before, but I'd never done something like that where I was going to like design an entire deck in twenty four hours. So I had I had kind of what I call what I kind of think about myself is like the heat. I mm-hmm. had the heat on me from mm-hmm. these people viewing, and and it turned out to be a really exhilarating, you know, creatively focusing uh, experience, and. Uh, and I was talking with my wife over the Christmas holiday after that, and we were about to head into the new year, and we were talking. I was like, what can I – I want to do – I want to recreate that experience, but with myself on a regular basis because I could, I could exponentially, you know, ramp up my productivity if I could do something like that. Mm-hmm. And she was like, well, you should do a – you should do – and, and then we came up with the idea of this thing where I got up every morning at 5 o'clock. And did like a three-hour live session every day, and any, and then, uh, and then I made the decision to where if I was working at all on anything, that I would do it in the morning mm-hmm. and do it live. So uh, I kind of made a pact with myself that I wouldn't work on anything unless I was doing it live. And we started like the we started late late December, early January, and then we just a few weeks about a month ago we got to episode 100 and I would do it during the week. I wouldn't do it on the weekends, mm-hmm. but I would get up every morning. And I think throughout a hundred episodes, I think I may have missed one episode just because we were traveling or something like that. or was, I was sick or something. Uh, but during that time period, like my, my productivity just shot through the roof and I was able to just churn through stuff because I went from sporadically working as a creative person that didn't always, you know, couldn't always get going and procrastinated. I went from com- 
kind of sporadically working to working disciplined, you know, three hours, three, four hours a morning, every morning. And I would do that before my kids would even get up. Mm. And so by the time that nine o'clock rolled around, when most people were going to work and stuff like that, I had basically gotten a full day's worth of work done. And then it, I got so productive that probably a month or two in, I started doing, I was like, why, why can't I do this during the afternoon? Mm-hmm. And so I started, I started work called the afternoon delights. And I'll throw back to Anchorman. Yeah, yeah. It's basically, <laughs> it's, and it's basically the same thing just in the afternoon. And I mm-hmm. think we're on episode, I think today, I think I did episode 70, I think, of Afternoon Delight. Uh, and those are, those are quickly overtaking the DELs mm-hmm. because I only have one DL a day and I usually do two. Uh, you know, one or two afternoon delights every day. But so, that's kind of how it started. That's the long, the long version. Well, it's fascinating to me because it does put your, uh, your creativity out there in front of everyone instantly as it's happening. And th- mm-hmm. I think that's a, that's kind of a wild process to put your brain through. Is it mentally taxing or is it freeing at this point? <laughs> I think it's, uh, it's, it's definitely freeing at this point. It definitely was something that I had to get used to in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a thing of, you know, this is, I mean, we got a long show we can talk about it, but you know, and it's a bigger can of worms to open, but you know, I don't really believe very much in talent and, uh, and this, and this, you know, this kind of pushed me to like, okay, I'm, I feel like I'm pretty good at what I do, mm-hmm. but this kind of pushed me into a different level to where, you know, I was just racking in the practice hours of, of like being, you know, having to be on it. Now there's granted there's days where I wasn't feeling it and just couldn't, couldn't really do much anything productive. But for the most part, it was just kind of a muscle memory uh, that I had to learn and get used to. And now it's pretty, it's pretty easy for me to get going, you know, you know, to get going and get in a groove and, and, and go through it. And because of that, I've been getting so much better you know, my skills have been, and ex, skills of execution have been getting so much better so quickly because of it. And that's why I'm like, I got to have more. I got to have more. So it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, now I need it to, to function, mm. to be able to, you know, to be able to do it right the way I want to. So when you miss a day, does it feel like you kind of fall back a little bit? Yes, it does for sure. Uh, I've only missed one day, uh, you know, one legit day. Mm-hmm. But it was, and it was, and it was literally because, uh, lit, it was literally because I was sick and it, you know, it was sick because, because the, because that deck, the cut deck that you have right yeah. there, mm-hmm. that was like, um, that was like a last minute idea. Um, and I had it and I was going on vacation in like a week and I was like, I've got, I've got to do, I've got to finish this before I leave. Uh, I got to get this idea out. And so that deck was like me working like 20 hour days doing like five session, five live sessions a day in, and so I designed that deck in like five days and did all the illustrations in like five days. Well, and that was the thing that kind of blew me away because I, <clears throat> I saw you post about it. Cause I, I watched some of your uh, afternoon delights um, mm-hmm. and you were working on the one, one half of the Joker. Yeah. 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 Uh, the crazy lady. <laughs> yeah. The crazy lady with the ham. With the ham in the hand. Yeah. And the inspector she's got the, tied she's up. Got the, uh, the health inspector tied up. I, I want, uh, can we buy just that? Like, no, no. We're, we're actually, we're thinking about making t-shirts of that and the other joker that's the meat wagon. Right. No, I mean, I, I would get that in a second because some good friends of ours own a, uh, a meat shop. 
just three doors okay. down from me. Yeah. And yeah. their inspector has to be on site when they process any beef because it's all USDA inspected. Oh, man. And she's awesome, but it would be hilarious that's to funny. give her that. So That's funny. <laughs> um, <clears throat> it, it, that's something that I'd be interested in for what it's worth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I was surprised because I watched you drawing this specific card. Just mm-hmm. It seemed like just the other day. Uh, and then all of a sudden, this product is out there. Um, yeah. Is it normal to turn something that quick? Uh, in terms of production, or in terms of me creating uh, the artwork? Well, both, really. So you, um, from you know, you polishing the the finished product and then getting it to where you uh, got enough of it to I ship think, out. I think that a, a week a week is relatively fast. Is on the faster side mm-hmm. for me designing a illustrating a deck of that of that like level of wear. And when I say at that level, I mean that, that every core card is, is custom. Yeah. That every core card is custom. And I'm not just using like standard core cards. That's relatively fast mm-hmm. uh, for me. Uh, I normally, it normally takes me about two to three weeks uh, to do like a fully custom deck of cards. And that's a fully de- fully custom deck of cards. So, but at the same time, <laughs> that's also why I got sick afterwards. Because I was like, <laughs> I was just like, I was just killing myself because yeah. I had to get this idea out before I left. Uh, and, and at the same time, you ask about production time. I, I had recently, you know, all the, all the stuff with the manufacturing shutdowns and, and mm-hmm. weird shipping stuff going on has just really thrown production times for playing cards just kind of in a whirlwind like it has many other industries. And I had recently found a new playing card printer in Orlando, Florida. And the open state, one of them. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the, so I, I, I had recently found a new playing card mm-hmm. and they, and they've been, they've been very great to work with. And one of the reasons why it was such a fast turnaround is because they were in the States. Uh, and uh-huh. it wasn't, it wasn't like an offset printing. Yep. Uh, it was a digital, like an Indigo, Indigo digital press. And so I was like, Hey, you know, this is one of our first projects together. If you, if you can really knock it out of the park for me, mm-hmm. you know, I'll send a ton more playing cards your way. Yeah. So they, they, uh, you know, they stepped up the plate and, uh, they produced it like in about eight days. And the same funny thing is just last week I had another idea. Um, uh, we can talk about, <laughs> we can talk about my weird oh, yeah, ideas. Your American get. deck. Yeah. Made yeah. In America. So I got this idea. I got this idea, uh, and I had, and it was kind of one of those things of like, I wanted to do it. And so, uh, I designed it, uh, one in one, uh, on a Sunday, I did all the design work on a Sunday mm-hmm. and I sent it off and I was like, Hey, can we get this by, you know, can we get this produced by July 4th? And they were like, yes, but we can't ship it and guarantee it. So like, all right, fine. I'm coming to Orlando <laughs> on Sunday, this Sunday, I'm driving Are to Orlando really? with my, with my video guy and we're nice. picking up the made in the United States of America deck. <laughs> awesome. That looks like a killer product. The pieces I've seen, it look awesome. So. I mean, yeah, it's, it's I, a, it was fun. I haven't seen a deck you've done that isn't good. So uh, let's well, run backward in good. time now. How in the, <laughs> what made you uh, even think about getting into playing card design? Well, the interesting thing was, is when I got into it, I had not thought about it, even contemplated it as anything serious before. Mm-hmm. Before I got into playing cards, I started my company, Kingswall Project, in uh, 2013. <clears throat> and um, In Austin at the time, correct? Uh, no, 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 no. no? At, at the time, I was in Los Angeles. Uh, oh. I lived in Los Angeles. And at the time, I was an art director for a game studio. And like, uh, we had... Video we had, games? Uh, say again? Yeah, video games, yeah. Uh-huh. 
I have a, I have a weird kind of <laughs> pathway to, uh, okay. to that. I'll just go back yeah, when <laughs> I'll just go back even further. Yeah. So I was an illustrator, like an illustrator, a striller, illustrator and a package designer before the world of playing cards came uh, for like a, like a decade. And I did things like, you know, st- I, I did work a lot for Hasbro and Marvel and Lucasfilms, like doing like, like the galactic hero toy illustrations mm-hmm. on toy packages. And like, I, 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 I illustrated the Santa Claus on the Coca-Cola can like in 2006, 2007. So I did a lot of illustration, illustrative work. Hold on just a second. What? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did all kinds the of Coke weird. The Coke can Santa? Yeah, the Coke can Santa. You know where he's holding the Coke yeah. can and he's all you happy illustrated and, that? and fat and chubby? Yeah. Oh, yeah. In 2006, 2007, that was my, my, my wow. fat, chubby Santa. Nice. And so, but... And I worked at a little boutique studio with like two other guys mm-hmm. and they both owned the company. And I was kind of like one of their, one of their, I was just kind of the, I was the help, I guess you could say. <laughs> and, uh, kind of a nobody. and, and we were having our first daughter, Claire, and this was 2009. Uh, we have our first daughter, Claire, and we were in the lobby of the hospital and my daughter had just been born and in the lobby of the hospital, my parents are there, my, my, my dad and my mom. And I get a phone call from one of the owners. And basically they said, you know, out of the blue, you know, we're closing the doors. You don't really have a job. You don't have a job anymore. So you don't worry about coming back. Wow. <laughs> so I lost my job the same day I had my first daughter. And then just to, just to add, just to add to that, um, uh, my, my parents were in the waiting room with me and my, my parents sat down with me in the waiting room and said, uh, we have some bad news. Mom has, you know, stage three breast cancer. So I lost my job and, you know, found out my mom had breast cancer and I was like, well, this day sucks. (laughs) And, and, and it kind of made me start thinking about just like my life and about working for other people and, and what, you know, it just kind of made me reflect on a lot of things and and kind of the, one of those kind of things like, well, I better start living because, you know, I better start living and doing what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of those things on my bucket list was to work in the video game industry. Uh, and I had never worked in the video game industry. And so, you know, long story long, you know, I got a job as a, you know, a concept artist. And then I became a character artist. Then I became an art director in the game studio, you know, the game industry in Los Angeles. So can you name drop any games you worked on? Uh, I worked on a, a, an interesting game. I worked on a game called Sorcery, which was a uh, a game that was specifically made for that. Remember the PlayStation Move? It was like that wand with the big mm, yep. the glowing yeah, ball. Balls on, yep. It was kind of one of those. It was kind of a game made mm-hmm. for that. And then, uh, and then we then I worked on. I'm trying. To, then I worked on a, a a game called what was it called? I can't. I mean, I've slept since then. I can't remember the name. <laughs> I think it was called the. Uh, I don't even know. Uh, but needless to say. The boy, you know, the boy that grew up in Texas did not like living in Los Angeles. We realized it wasn't a place for where we wanted to raise our kids. Mm-hmm. And I was in debt. We were in debt and we were trying to get out of there. Uh, and we, so I started looking at Kickstarter and I thought to myself, hey, I could, you know, you know I could do something to earn some extra money to pay off some debt so we could move back to Texas. And so I did a, uh, I did a t-shirt project where I just designed this t-shirt and uh, the uh, and it did pretty good. I think I had a funding goal of like 400 bucks and we raised like $4,000 and I was like, 
Sweet. Wow. That was easy. Mm-hmm. I should do that again. And, uh, at the end, then I was like, and so I did another t-shirt project and we earned about the same amount. And then at that point I was like, man, there must be something to this Kickstarter thing. And this was 2000, this was late 2012. And then I saw this deck of playing cards on Kickstarter and it had, and I saw that it had raised like $144,000 on Kickstarter. And I looked at the deck and I was like, and I'm, I'm kind of a competitive person. And I went to my, I said to myself, I could totally design this deck of playing cards. I could have totally done that. And so I was like, screw this, let's do this. And so I had never thought about playing cards and never, never done anything like that. And my brother, Taylor, he owns a, a production company in Birmingham. And we would always like have like Google Hangouts or whatever. And we would always talk about different ideas that we were thinking about working on. Mm-hmm. And I was talking about this. I was like, hey, I was thinking about doing a deck of playing cards uh, you know, deck of playing cards on Kickstarter. And then my brother goes, you know what you should do? You should design a deck of playing cards that looks like money. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes, yes, I should. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what started it. And I did my first playing card project, which was called the Fiddle 52. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was the uh, first deck two- that I got of yours. And it's absolutely gorgeous. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's actually the second edition. One it, that oh, you're holding. okay. Well, so it's, it's okay. Gorgeous. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so, um, so I did it, my first mm-hmm. playing card Kickstarter and, uh, you know, my funding goal was 8,000. I think we raised 150,000. Whoa. And, and I, and every time, every time we had a success, like on the two t-shirt <laughs> projects before I would go to my wife and I was like, Hey, look, we did it. We should, that we, we earned some money. And she would go, she would always go, you should do another Kickstarter. And I came home that day and, and, I, and, and it raised like $150,000 yeah. or whatever. And I go. And she goes, you, uh, you, you should do another yes. playing card Kickstarter. And I was like, okay. And so I did a second one and, and, uh, it was the follow-up to that project mm-hmm. and it raised, you know, 188,000. And then for the next like five years, uh, I did, I think 33 Kickstarters, uh, of, of different playing card decks for the next five years doing like 33. And I, I basically lived my, my living was doing playing cards on mm-hmm. Kickstarter and, um, uh, so I quit my job there and came back to Texas. And that's kind of when I started, uh, you know, Kingswell Project. Uh, but that's how I got into it. I literally fell into it. And I said to myself, well, I'm going to do this until it breaks. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't broken. Bro- yeah, I'm still doing it. So. It's just stronger. <laughs> um, was Kickstarter just because that was the option out there at the time? It was, it was, more, it was more of, uh, uh, it, I guess so. I guess it was more of like just because it was in front of me mm-hmm. and I had, I had had a, a, I had a little bit of success and uh, I was just trying it. And it was more of just me being competitive mm-hmm. and like, I could do this yeah. and I, cause I would see somebody else's uh, and I, you know, it was more competitive nature of me wanting to do it. And it just, I used Kickstarter as the vehicle, but I think it was kind of a, it, it was, I think it was very, it was, it was kind of kismet of being me being at the right time at the right place with the platform of Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, the luxury kind of boutique playing card market was still, it, it really didn't, it had, it had been kind of, it had begun, but it really hadn't, you know, gotten in a full swing. And it, and it was literally, you know, I'm not going to take credit for it, but after that, after that first Kickstarter, just a wave of, you know, new designers came mm-hmm. in and new playing card Kickstarters kind of came in after that. Like 
when I did my Kickstarter, I think they averaged like maybe five, three or four different playing card Kickstarters in a, in a month period. And I think that after that, until even now, they average like 30 to 50 different playing card projects on Kickstarter. And it's never let up since, since wow. then. <clears throat> is the what's the appeal now is it that you're in in the stream and it works or is it just such a cool form factor to design for the appeal for me or the yeah. appeal for like my customers well i mean i think they're gorgeous and of course i mean you got enough of them what are you gonna do with them but it becomes that um that thing that sits on the shelf and actually begins to look good right right absolutely like that's you know, everything that, everything that I do is, is always, you know, the foundation of it is always based in my art and my illustration. And mm -hmm. as an, you know, as an illustrator at heart, I always want to tell stories, you know, with the decks of playing cards, whether it's through the, the, the characters that I'm illustrating from a book or like those characters in that deck, you know, that's that whole cut deck mm -hmm. is, you know, me telling a story of all these kind of seedy characters out of this, you know, weird, you know, backcountry meat marketplace. So it's, 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 but it's, it's telling a story coupled with me trying to produce really beautiful artwork. And I think that with playing cards, you know, playing cards are a concept that pretty much everybody is familiar with in some form or fashion. Mm -hmm. They've all gone to Walmart, you know, and bought a, a, a deck of bicycle playing cards and played spades or whatever, go fish. So it's a, it's a, it's an easy connection point with a pretty wide audience. And then when you couple it with, you know, repackaging and, you know, you know, showing, showing something that people are very uh, used to and, and have a, have a preconceived idea of what playing cards mm -hmm. are. If you show it to them in a completely different way. And what I mean by a different way is, Oh, wow. This is a completely unique custom, all illustrations of a deck of playing cards. Yeah. Then it kind of like, re-sparks this thing that oh wow this is something that i've been familiar with all my life but now i'm seeing it in a brand new way mm -hmm. and at the same time it's a way that because a lot of the stuff that i do is like limited edition or you know that kind of thing it's a way for me to like you know i always had these grandioso ideas about being this gallery artist where i'd make these paintings and you know i'd sell this one painting for fifty thousand yeah you do that once you die though yeah yeah of course of course <laughs> But then this is like, this is a way for me to use a stack of paper that's mm -hmm. stuffed into a paper box as like my canvas and people could buy my artwork, mm. you know, for like 15 bucks yeah. and they get to be able to put it in their hands, shuffle it, play with it, you know, and mm -hmm. have conversations about it. So yeah, that's, what's really interesting about it to me. And then, and then like above that, just like from the creative standpoint and like pushing myself, uh, of just like trying to be able to churn through as many different ideas and concepts as I can so that I can create more ideas and subsequently me get better because I'm just practicing and practicing, practicing not only the, the actual execution of the drawing, mm -hmm. but also just the, the, the brain muscle memory of coming up with ideas and then taking those ideas and then translating them into, Oh wow, here's a, here's a finished cohesive product mm -hmm. based on this idea. It's similar a little bit to photography. I'm, that's my main job. Yeah. I'm a photographer. And so I, um, I tend to try to look at the same thing as other people, but just from my perspective. And sometimes that perspective is me upside down laying on the ground. Yeah. Um, and so it, it, when you said that, you know, you, you are reigniting uh, interest in 
52 cards that people have seen for decades that mm-hmm. are the same. You play hearts, it's always the same. But now you open this up and it's an experience. You still play the same game, same, you know, memory there, but you now have something else to examine. Yep. And so it's really, yep. it, it feels like you're looking at the game through a different lens now and it's yours and it's fascinating. So I'd, yeah. I, I kind of think that's a similar comparison. Would you see that? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's also an element of, uh, I think that the fact that it's a, a physical, mm-hmm. a physical item that's not digital, that's not a screen that they're poking with their finger, but it's something they can put in their hands and look at. Yeah. And Feel. especially when they like, you know, when they connect it, you know, just as like, if they connect that people that follow me and like are connected with me, when they connect that piece of, you know, that thing in their hand with the hours of stuff that they've watched me do mm-hmm. creatively, like online with my YouTube lives and stuff like that. Like a lot of people that follow me have spent the time to watch my creative process and they're like, Oh yeah, I was there yeah. talking to him yep. in the chat while he was drawing that card. And like, even that, even that cut deck, you know, that's, yeah. we're talking about that a lot. Like every person in that, like all the little name tags, like <laughs> those characters, those people's names are like, are who are like from people from my, who I call my DEL crew. Really? Who like, it's like a group of like 15 people that have been watching every episode mm-hmm. since like the very first episode. And I would like, like, like there's Griff's chicken, sh- you know, chicken shack where he's, you know, this big trucker and he's choking this big, <laughs> just chicken to death. And he's got, and his, and his hat says Griff's like Griff's Griffins or something. But I got a guy in my DO crew. His name is Griffin. That's and I got a girl named Katie and I got a girl named, you know, and CC and all that kind of stuff. So it's like an art that people get to be a part of and then they get to have the product in their hands. And so they're much more, mm-hmm. you know, they're much more invested in it. Well, it's meaningful. There's yeah. personality there. That's fantastic. Well, shoot. See, now I'm going to examine this even more. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. <laughs> or start. And, and the funny thing is, is my, uh, you know, I kind of have a, a, I have a kind of a closed group of my, D, of like this kind of like inner circle mm-hmm. of DEO crew. And they spent like, they created this document that's like for that specific deck. And really? it's like, because as I was designing them, they were like, you You're know, throwing ideas back at and you? forth in the chats, like, like thinking about, like getting the backstories for all these people. And so they have like this whole Google doc of like all yeah. the, like a paragraph of all these backstories mm-hmm. of all these characters. You, you've, uh, well, you've seen Spinal Tap. Yes. And uh, Best in Show. Yes. Waiting for Guffman. Uh-huh. Uh, a Mighty Wind. Uh, oh, oh, I feel like I have, okay. but maybe it's, just it's like the once. folk music one. Well, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. this feels similar because uh, Christopher Guest, Eugene Levy, and uh, uh-huh. Michael McKean, they write the story of these movies right? and they write the characters and their backstory. They mm-hmm. create a scene and then they set it up and roll tape. There is no script other than. Okay. So the they, back they end. create the characters. Yeah. And then they live those characters on screen. That's pretty awesome. Which makes them way more fun to watch knowing that's the process. And that's yeah. what this feels like. <laughs> they created yeah. this character. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. And it, and there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, yeah. And a lot of it was just me, like, I mean, a lot of it was just me, like, because, because I liked, I I liked, I also like write and, and I like writing story and whether it's through playing cards or through fiction, all that kind of stuff. Like it's the story elements coupled with the art that I think that people really connect with. Absolutely. Uh, And, and, 
And, and everybody's like, Oh, how are you, you going to run out of ideas? And I'm like, Oh, that's, you know, that's a bunch of crap. Like, like I have, like, there's so many things that, that you could design a deck of playing cards around of whatever kind of thematic element. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not ever afraid of running out of ideas. Why do you put First Thessalonians four eleven everywhere? First Thessalonians four eleven is kind of like my kind of like a mission statement. It's a it's a pretty obscure scripture reference, and it says, uh, "Make it your ambition to uh, work with your hands and mind your own business, and let your daily life win the respect of outsiders." And you know, it kind of became my mantra of, I mean, I really don't. And my wife, my wife kind of made fun of me. She was like, "You realize that." you don't really lead a quiet life. And I'm like, well, but that's what it says. And I kind of have to, I can't like change it, <laughs> but just from the, from the standpoint and, and the end of the, at, at the end of the verse, it says, so, you know, lead a quiet life, work with your hands and let your daily life win the respect of outsiders. And so that you become dependent on no one. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things just kind of like the entrepreneurial spirit and, you know, I try to learn as much stuff as I can, like everything that I learned, uh, you know, professionally with art and digital art was all self-taught. My six years in fine art school, I majored in drawing and painting, was a complete and absolute waste of my time. And it was completely worthless. And anytime anybody says anything to me, like, what should I do? What should I do about, uh, you know, you know, school if I want to become an artist? I'm like, first things, don't go to college. (laughs) (laughs) And, and it was just like, and it, and it like, and that worthlessness of my college career is like what spurred me on to like start learning what I actually wanted to learn on my own. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of like fulfills that kind of back part of that, that, that scripture of like saying, you know, not, so I'm not dependent on mm-hmm. anyone. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of like this, this constant, you know, this constant, you know, struggle with myself to get better, to practice more so that I can become better at what I do so that I can become less dependent on other people so that I can build my own business and that kind of thing. But at the same time, letting my actions and my, and, and the way I, you know, communicate with people and the way they see me and the way that I, you know, you know, hold myself, you know, just, that it just wins the respect of other people mm-hmm. makes, you know, and specifically like my customers and my followers. No, it's like you're running a cult. Good job. <laughs> well, we, we only pass out the Kool-Aid on Thursday. Nice. So <laughs> Perfect. Yes. Wow. I just heard someone talk about Jim Jones this morning. So, oh man. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. <clears throat> you, because I was going to talk to you because I saw that at one point digging around about you um, that you had gone to to art school, and uh-huh. so I was going to assume, oh, geez, he's so good because of that. But it's oh. fascinating to hear that that isn't the Ridiculous. reason that you have found the love of art that you do. No. Um, uh, what? Yeah. Why do you think was that not a good preparation for what you? Well, do? for one, I think I think, and I'm not you know like I'm not blanket stating I'm not blanket statement I'm like ninety nine percent blanket statement <laughs> statement about that <laughs> about almost. college is worthless for somebody yeah. who wants to be creative or artist. Mm-hmm. But like for me in my in my situation, I went to a, a state school in Texas. And they had a great, I mean, they had a great, they had a good art program. Uh, but I was a, I was an illustrator mm. and I wanted, you know, I, I grew up loving, you know, things like N.C. Wyeth, N.C. Wyeth illustrations, Norman Rockwell illustrations, J.C. Decker illustrations, <laughs> like 
all these illustrators in the golden age of illustration, like end of 1800s going into the 1900s, like when there was no TV, when there was, and that was people's entertainment. Yeah. And I loved illustration and the school that I went to, they, they kind of looked, they looked at illustration as like not a legit art form. And it was, and so they always like kind of, they was like, you can't do that. You're an illustrator, blah, blah, blah. And so basically I got so sick of it. I just wanted to get out. And so I just started doing what they wanted was, was, which was just like abstract stuff that was just like me, whatever, doing, you know, throwing mm-hmm. paint on a you know, canvas, stuff like that. And I made good grades cause I was doing exactly what they wanted, but I was learning absolutely nothing. Hmm. And for my experience and for what I wanted to do, which was, you know, make a living at my art uh, and, 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 and make a business out of my art, uh, illustration was that key for me and that and it was just the preparation that they gave me uh you know now i'll go back i warned i the funny thing is is i i always say that my my college career was absolutely worthless however i learned my greatest life lesson in college in one of my classes and i'm gonna say i'm gonna say that i'm gonna say this story this really this story so i was in this was my sophomore year in college and i was in a pottery class and we're talking like pottery wheel, let's throw some vases, make some coffee mugs, that kind of thing. And it was my first day, uh, first day of class. And the professor, uh, the professor split us into two groups, group A and group B. And, and before he did anything and before he kind of taught anything, he sat down at one of the pottery wheels and he threw one of the, he just threw like a vase, like a nothing special, just a really nice vase, it had really good proportions, really good curves, yada, 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 that kind of thing. And then he looked at both groups and he says, group A, at the end of the semester, you are going to get one grade. And that grade is going to be determined on one vase that your entire group turns in. And that vase has to look exactly like the vase that I just threw in front of you. It's got to have the perfect curves, got to have the perfect proportions, the finish, all that kind of stuff. And you're going to be graded on one vase that your whole group turns in. I'm going to teach you the skills and stuff like that to get there, but how you get there and how you create that one vase is up to you. So the, the, the end result group, was all that mattered. The one, the one vase mm-hmm. was the only thing that mattered. And then so with group B, he goes, your group is going to get one grade and you're going to be graded on the number of vases that you turn in. I don't care if they look like this vase. I don't care if they look like a pinch pot that you made in the third grade. I don't care if, if they're whatever your, your group is going to get one grade based on how many of these vases that you can try to produce. And so we went about our deal and both groups did their work. And the group a was like, you know, like they were like trying to like focus on like one element. They were like hyper-focusing on one element. I got to get this curve just right on this one part. Mm -hmm. I got to get this, got to get this. And they, and they slowly got, they slowly got better and they, so they slowly started making better vases. And then group B, they were just like throwing them. They were just boom, 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 making these vases. I mean, half, you know, for like the first two weeks, they all looked like dog crap and they were just throwing these vases around. (laughs) And then the end of the semester came, the end of the semester came and the group A turned in their one, you know, their one vase on the pillow with a little, you know, some tassels and some garnish. And it was and it was decent. It wasn't 
it wasn't it wasn't to the level as the professors mm-hmm. and they got you know they got a they got an a and they did a good job and they all learned a lot of stuff and then group b they turned in like shelf after shelf after shelf after shelf of these vases but the peculiar thing was <clears throat> towards the the back of the shelves there were probably two or three hundred vases that were perfectly exact an exact match of the vase that the professor made exactly like it fascinating and moral of the story i was in group b the group that made tons <laughs> mm-hmm. of them and that lesson that i learned in that pottery class in my worthless six years of my bachelor's of fine arts degree i learned that kind of like set the stage for me in terms of how i approached my work and how i approached everything that i did professionally was you know, and I think that so many times artists are starving artists because they they grind over this idea of perfection in their work mm-hmm. and they never produce anything. Mm-hmm. And and that lesson that I learned set the stage for me to for my my mindset was such that I have all these ideas and what I want to do is I want to just get through as many ideas as I can. Now it's not that I want to rush through them. But I want to just, I want to churn out as many ideas as I can so that if you like put, you know, if you put like a, a graph mm-hmm. that had, you know, that like mapped two, two people's, you know, like tr- evolution of like their skills and execution getting better. You know, you have that one artist that may like produce one great work every year and they like, they, they pour over it. They spend their time and, and hours and hours and hours and and their little line on the bar graph may go up because they get better and then they produce something. But for me, it's kind of like one of those like long-term investment things mm-hmm. where if I'm producing as many ideas as I can and I'm failing tons of times and I'm succeeding tons of times, that little bar graph over time is going to be going higher and higher and higher so that at some point, my worst crappiest days where I can't produce anything and I'm, my mind is not working, my level of execution is going to be higher than that one, than that other person mm-hmm. best day and their best, uh, their best creative day. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of the way I look at it. <clears throat> my oldest son, a couple of days ago, he was making an egg and like he's boiling an egg. Or no, he, like, like fr- frying an egg, an egg. <laughs> no, okay. fr- frying an egg to eat. Um, and I, you know, I, I can just flip the pan because I'm old and I yep. can, you know, done it for a long time. And he's like, okay, how do you do that? So he was going, and I said, yeah, you're, you've got it started, but, you know, be prepared for it to go on the floor, yeah. you know, and that's fine. But be prepared for that to happen. And then he kind of weakly folded it and it was kind uh, of you a crap product. You got to commit to that flip. Yeah, right. And so I, I was explaining to him that, you just have to go for it. Like Babe Ruth struck out 1,330 times. Absolutely. And yet was a crazy home run hitter. Mm-hmm. Because you try. People like Tony Hawk, probably one of the best skateboarders ever, mm-hmm. uh, fall, fell down lots, broke a lot of bones. Yeah. Why? Because they tried, but they got back up and did it again. And that yeah. sounds like that. And, and as you were talking about the vase story, it's, it, it makes sense that when, it's, when you're less worried about perfect on one, You'll mm-hmm. just throw and throw and throw. And in your throw, that's going to start getting better and better because, it, you know, the end result isn't as important because next, we need the next one. 
And yeah. so then you nailed one. Awesome. Do it again. Yeah. That's that, a that fascinating kind of whole, mindset. The whole kind of adage yeah. that you hear a lot of like, you know, you're only as good as your last game. Mm. Like, I personally hate that because I'm like, whatever, my last game was like a week ago and I'm going to have another name. I'm going to have another game mm-hmm. in a couple of days. Yeah. And, you know, um, yeah. And, and I think, and, and, and my mind, and it goes back to that, you know, my YouTube lives and that live, that 24 hour live thing. Like you've got, for me at least, and I think this, this is for anybody else that's creative or any, I mean, I guess it could, it could span a lot of different, you know, disciplines, but like you've got, I call it the suck. <laughs> I've called, I call it the suck. You have got, you've got to like learn to love the suck. And to me, in the beginning, the suck was performing my creative abilities and skills live while people were watching. Uh-huh. And I either had to do it or not do it and look like an idiot. And I look like an idiot. I still look like an idiot on, on a weekly basis. But, and it was, the, it was the suck that I started to want and mm. to like mm-hmm. and, to, and need to get back to. And I think that until you, until you embrace the suck and, 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 you know, walk into it freely, uh, I think that, I think that you're just, I think that people, especially creative people are just going to kind of stay in the, you know, stay where they're at in like this, this kind of treading water stasis. That's just going to lead to blahness if that's even a yeah. way to describe it. Well, it, it is. And I've run into that exact thing in the last 12 months, roughly. And just over the last four or five, I've had conversations with my wife about, you know, I just need to start doing something. And actually, your commitment to being live was mm-hmm. one of those things. I was watching it one day on my phone, walking around the house, and she's like, what are you watching? So I told her. And then as I later, we were talking about it, and I was like, I need to start doing something along that line just for that yeah. exercise of the creative side of things. And, yeah. you know, it, it's learning now that that's been the biggest benefit for you uh, and it's gotten you more productive and better is fascinating. Oh, yeah. And, and like just this past week, like. Like I was looking at my time, I was looking at my daily schedule and I was looking at the at my productivity. And I, and I and I and I was, you know, I was I was excited about how productive I've been since I started the D, the, mm-hmm. the, the Dawn's early light. But then I thought to myself, I was like, man, you know, I'm just working from like five, you know, five to like nine or five to eight. And I'm being more productive than I've ever been. And then I'm just kind of like lackadaisically. uh, My wife said like this, she goes, because I was kind of talking to her about these kind of different ideas that I was having of like how I could go to the next step, how I could evolve Mm -hmm. and, and, and go to the next level. And she was like, you have complete control and discipline over the hours of five to eight of your life. Now I know, and this is my wife speaking, and she's like, I know that the kids are asleep and you kind of have less distractions, but from that point on, you kind of like have no structure and no, no discipline for the Mm -hmm. rest of your day. And I was like, you're absolutely right. And it made me reflect on my, you know, my, 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 my current life and the way that I was working and I was like, even though I'm super excited and super pumped about my productivity, I felt like I was only really operating at like 30, 40% of my full potential mm-hmm. of what I could actually do and, 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 and produce. And so like, uh, this is like literally a week ago, 
I, you know, my wife challenged me. She says, I, you know, I challenge you to be as disciplined and get control of the rest of your day as much as you have control over that first, you know, three hours. And so we, I started, I started, uh, you know, I wrote out a schedule of what I wanted my day to look like. And so like, there's a, a morning live session and then I have coffee with my wife and then there's a, you know, like a 10 to one live session. And then I do some things that have to do with business, uh, my business. And then I, and then I wanted to start writing again. And so I, and I, and I just always said to myself, well, I can't write because I don't have any time. And so I was like, screw it. I'm going to set aside two mm. hours wow. every day, every day, every day yeah. to write. And I made it as important, you know, I made it as important as my, my drawings and like, just like, just even like the mind clarity and like getting me out of this, like, cause I, I'm an artist and like, I'll go through these ups and downs all the time, but being able to do it like this to where I'm always, always kind of pushing this, pushing myself with this heat or embracing the suck, as I said, it really helps me clear my mind and just go through it without any regard of the outcome. I mean, I, I want to have regard of the outcome, mm -hmm. but it's more of just like making it happen and making the ideas mm -hmm. come out. Uh, and, you know, since I've started that, like my productivity has already started to skyrocket in terms of like, you know, I've already written two chapters of my book that I was working on that I haven't written in, in like five years. And I'm, I'm producing two playing cards a day instead of just one. And so it's just, and, and so I feel like that I'm now, okay, now I'm at 50% or mm. 60%. Uh, but it's all about, you know, just me embracing that suck. And this is just me also verbally regurgitating what I'm learning at the moment yeah. in my life. Yeah. So how, what's your balance between your creativity, your business that you manage and run and your family? Well, this may be, this may be kind of a, I don't know, people may not agree with this, but that's okay. I really don't care what other people think. Um, I think, I think there's a huge population of people that have to have balance mm. in their life. They have to have balance with their family. They have to have balance uh, with their work and all that kind of stuff. Like balance is not, balance is not for me. I tried to have balance in my life, but what I was finding was, and this is something that, this is something that I didn't really come to until my wife, you know, I've almost been married 20 years and, and it was kind of a thing that my my wife is like my tuning fork. And she was like, you know, I was like, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of how to say it the most, the least abrasive way. <laughs> Go for it. I think, I think that balance is good for a, a, a huge amount of the population. But for me, uh, when, my, when my goal and my mindset is to be the absolute best at what I'm doing in the field that I'm doing, in the niche that I'm doing, like I... I can't have balance because there's, there's like no on my wife's like, there's no off switch with me in my business in Kings wild. I'm always thinking about playing cards. I'm always talking about playing cards. I'm always talking about ideas. And honestly, I get depressed and I get, I become a bad husband and I become a bad father when I'm not constantly doing what I love to do. And what I love to do is, sit right here at this computer mm -hmm. drawing pictures. And my wife has, she's understood that. 
And, and I was trying to fight this whole thing of like trying to find balance. And she was like, you just need to do, you just need to do your thing because you are a much better husband and you're a much better father when you're doing your thing. And my thing is just, I love doing this and I love working all the time. Uh, now, granted, I've, I'm, I'm blessed in the fact that I work at home. And so if I do want to go up to the, you know, if I want to go upstairs and mm-hmm. be with my kids, I can do that. But coupling the fact with pushing myself harder with these, you know, these lives and embracing the suck, it's, it's when I wasn't doing that, when I would get to the end of the day, I would always feel unfulfilled. And so I felt like I needed to keep working at night, which was keeping me away from my family. Mm-hmm. But once I get to the end of the day, I've done like, literally I've done like an, like a 14 hour work day. And it's just like four o'clock or five o'clock at night. And I'm literally exhausted mm-hmm. just because, you know, I've, creatively creatively been working so hard the whole day and my brain has been working so hard the day that by the end of the you know four or five o'clock I'm exhausted and I got I got to get some fuel in me and I've got to I got to sit down and you know rest uh so going back to the balance thing I think that for people that want I think that for people that want to be uh the best at what they do they have they this is my opinion they there's not a balance there's either you're going to do it or you're not going to do it. And there's going to be a lot of people, you know, that think you're stupid, that think what you're doing is ridiculous. But I, but I truly believe that the people that succeed in something are the people that are willing to do the stupid and ridiculous stuff that the majority of the people aren't willing to do hmm. kind of a thing. Whether that sounds like a soapbox or not, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> um. Why do you think that there's the idea that there's the the push for a an equally balanced like you have a hundred hundred percent of a day and you have to divide that up equally uh and if you don't do that then you're failing why do you think that's a, a sentiment we have in society uh honestly i think it's i think it's just because oh that's a that's a big question with it, a really big really big answer to unpack. Well, well, but I mean does it have something to do with um the majority of people, especially in western culture and I guess I don't know if America would be fully, you know, the majority in America it might be uh are 9 to 5 workers that work for someone, yeah. they go to work yeah. and they do their time and then they go home and they're off. So they have a very hard, you know, and when they're not there, the work gets done by the next shift. Whereas yeah. in in our cases it doesn't. I think it's a, I think it's just a gradual conditioning over the, you know, the past 200 years of, uh, of the working people that class work for other, huh? Of, of working class. Yeah. Of working class of like, you know, you have, you know, going back to like when most people, you know, like were rural worked on farms, yeah. you know, you worked from, you know, you worked from sunup to sundown. Yeah. You didn't wear a watch, but you worked from sunup to sundown. And you and you and you slept like a baby, mm-hmm. uh, you know. But then, but then, kind of the the urbanization and people coming out of the rural areas, coming into the cities, starting to work nine by nine to five and stuff like that. I think it's just a, a, an overtime conditioning of just I want to say the neutering of a population in in the sense that like cutting why? out the entrepreneurship. 
that yeah, mindset. Neutering of a population mm-hmm. of like, like neutering the drive, neutering, you know, the, the, the want. And it's not so much like me saying, you oh, know, capitalism, blah, blah, blah. It's more of like me saying like just neutering the drive for somebody to, 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 to be the best version of themselves that they possibly can. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, in my experience in life, the best version of me that I can be absolutely does not work for somebody else. Absolutely doesn't work a nine to five job. Uh, it, it's, it is a, because like, I mean, I don't watch sports. I don't watch TV. I don't, I don't play fantasy football. I, you know, I don't have a sports team. I Paul, cheer you're for not even American. <laughs> I'm not even American, but, but, all I do is I draw pictures of playing cards. And mm-hmm. if I'm not drawing pictures of playing cards, I'm sitting on a chair writing or talking to my wife and having, you know, drinking coffee. Like I have, I have no life. I don't, I don't get out much, but, but I'm doing exactly what I love to do. And, and I have complete control over my success and my ability to grow, not, not only professionally, financially, and also just skill wise, because I'm not, I'm not hemmed in by this stupid, you know, dogma of what, what you're supposed to be mm-hmm. as a worker or as an employee. Uh, and I just, I basically just get to make up my own rules uh, when it comes to that. What do you think it said about the American workforce? And well, maybe let's say global, but Western uh, over the last year when the majority of them were told you aren't essential stay home Mm. what did that do to our psyche i don't know man this is this is getting deep i just draw playing cards bro uh (laughs) you know it's it's got to be rough um you know and i and i think about like this you know i think about like whether it was the shutdowns last year or whatever it's like what is it gonna like what is it gonna take to you know uh, you know you know, electric paddle somebody's mm-hmm. life out of what they expect and what they think. Because to me, like what you just asked me specifically, like you're not essential, stay home. That to me, to me, it's not like, oh, I feel bad. I'm not essential. To me, that's like this, this stupid person right here has complete control of my life yeah. and they get to dictate. Mm-hmm. They get to dictate my freedom and well-being. And I'm not talking about the government. That's a whole different thing. But it's more of like this person, my employer, mm-hmm. they get to dictate my happiness, my financial well-being, my my financial, my, my, my kids, you know, livelihood, my my family's livelihood. And to me, that's like that's like a bondage. And it's like, oh, that just seems like a sick place to be. Uh and and for me, like. I'm totally okay with knowing that tomorrow my business could crumble. You know, Facebook could, you know, get in a bad mood and completely destroy everything that I do. Cause so much of what I do is based on ads and mm-hmm. getting in front of people. Uh, Cause you know, like, I mean, when was the last time that you randomly typed in the Google search luxury collectible <laughs> playing cards <laughs> kind of a thing, right. but you know, to, but just yeah. going back to your question, like that just seems like a, that just seems like a suffocating mm-hmm. place to be in. Not from a, I need to make money standpoint, which that's part of it, but just more of a, 
God. Well, it, it, it's a worth thing. Like, yeah, like it really establishes thing. your worth. Yeah. And like, and I always tell this to people as well, like, especially my kids, uh, my daughters, especially my oldest daughter, because she's, you know, she's becoming an artist and everything like that. Uh, I say, run away as fast as you can. First of all, you need to surround your, surround yourself with people that you want to be like, and mm -hmm. that you want to become. And I say, run as fast as you can away from people that hate Mondays and that love Fridays. Mm -hmm. Because they, oh, it's Monday. Right. Mondays suck. And they're like, oh, it's TGI Friday. Let's go have some beers tomorrow. Like, run away from those people as fast as you can because they are wasting their life doing a job that they hate 70% of their life that they're breathing and on the planet. Mm -hmm. And and to me, that's kind of goes back to what you said about the, you know, you know, you know, stay at home. You're not essential. Like, Screw who thinks I'm essential. I'm going to do my own thing and I'm going to get to decide whether I'm essential or not. Well, and in that whole thing, like we, I live in South Dakota. So we luckily had a government in South Dakota that didn't make that decision. Yeah. And so we, you know, we really didn't see much change in our state. Now, because of the nature of my business, all of my production is done in states that decided to shut down. And yeah. so I lost all production of all, all but one product for yeah. several months. So, I mean, that, that just was a huge hit that we didn't plan for. We didn't, we had no yeah. control over. Um, but as, as we see, you know, Minnesota, we're close to Minnesota. So I was watching their government and I've got family in Oregon still. So we're, you know, listening and seeing what they're saying to people that do what I do. And mm -hmm. it's, you know, you, know, you, you're not allowed to go to work because you don't really, what you do doesn't matter. And then I was thinking my children think it does because yeah, that's absolutely. how I feed them. My wife yeah. thinks it does. I think it does. The people that rely on us, we're essential to them no matter what it is we do. Just because I don't work in a hospital or in a yeah. Walmart grocery store, that means nothing. Right. And it, it, it's yeah. insulting that the governing class can say, oh, yeah, you're, you're not. Yeah, don't worry. We'll take care of you. That's the other piece that I find really hard oh, yeah. to swallow. Is, well, going, we back, got you. going back to that, that Thessalonians verse at the very end, it says, yeah. so that you're not dependent on anyone. Like, I, like, I want to be as far away from, I want to be as far away from anything where somebody else is determining whether or not I'm taking care of my kids mm -hmm. or whether or not I'm taking care of my family. Yeah. And especially, I want to be as far away from, you know, don't worry, we'll take care of you. Whether that's the government or anybody else, yeah. I don't care what it is. I want to be as far away from that as I can. Right. And it's the same, and I, and, I, and I have that same mentality about my work and my business. Like, uh, you know, what I do is a very niche market. And so there's real, I mean, the, the, the niche is growing and the, and the market is growing. But for the most part, I get to make up my own rules of mm -hmm. what I'm doing and how it works, you know. And I get to, you know, I get to, I get to kind of play with that. And so it's like, I don't want to, I don't want somebody else. To, I don't want somebody else telling me what to do. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, so social it, media, it, go yeah, ahead. No, go ahead. no, finish what you were going to say. I was going to say, and especially like when somebody like when that, when they were like, Oh, you should do a 24 hour live show. Y'all mm -hmm. couldn't do a 24. Like when somebody tells me what I can't do, that's usually when I'm like, well, Buckle you know up. what? I'm going to do whatever the heck I want to do. Yeah. And then that's usually when I have like a breakthrough of some sort. Mm. <laughs> All right. 
<laughs> that's like, I mean, that's what that's what made me start my playing card subscription uh, two years ago. Was like, people are like, oh, you can't you can't get off Kickstarter and you can't design, you know, you can't design a deck of cards every month. And I was like, screw you, screw you, people. You know, you can say it all you want from your mom's basement, but I'm gonna do it. <laughs> and and so that's what made me those those somebody telling me what I couldn't do mm-hmm. is what gave me a breakthrough, and that's what made me kind of like you know, inspire me to start my playing card subscription. And then the playing card subscription is what took my business to the next level where I could not have to do Kickstarters anymore. And, you know, and nobody else, nobody else in the playing card world does, you know, designs a deck of cards every month and makes a playing card subscription. So it's like, you know, get to make the own rules and not be dependent on anybody else. Yeah. So you're, I mean, because this is your brainchild, if you can't draw it, it doesn't happen, correct? Or do you like? Would would you ever bring in other designers? But that's 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 an interesting thing. Uh, I mean, I've been. I mean, I have I have poured so much blood, sweat, and tears into this business that, and I'm I'm a, I'm a little bit of a control freak when it comes to the art, mm-hmm. and it is definitely something that I've had to work through, and that's definitely a a reality that I've had to kind of come to grips with. It's like, I mean, yeah. I can design a deck of playing cards a month. You know, I, I basically, we basically, I basically design two decks of playing cards every month and I can do that now, but I don't, I, I, I can't see myself doing that. I don't know for the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I want to grow my business and I want to be able to have a business that, you know, if I want to, you know, if I want to take off, you want to be that puppet master, don't you? I want to be the puppet master <laughs> telling people what they can and can't do work nine to five. Because there's going to be those people that, yeah. that that's what yeah. they that's where they find their fulfillment, and I'm mm-hmm. like, but that doesn't mean I can't great, create a great great environment to right. work. Yeah. But so just about three months ago, I hired my first uh, designer, and I hired her name's June, and you and know promptly she's fired of, her after that. <laughs> no, huh? then you promptly fired her after that. Yes, I probably <laughs> fired her after that. Right. And the funny thing is, she's in college right now. Oh, and she's finishing. She's like finishing up her senior year in in, in a college, and she's. <laughs> She's majoring in uh, design, and I told her I was like, "Stop wasting first day of work." I said, "Okay, June, <laughs> listen, uh, you're a little bit too far into your college career for me to for you to do anything. But first of all, college sucks, and uh, I'm going to teach you more about design and actually being a designer in your first week mm. than you've learned in your entire college career." And she kind of, you know, hesitantly laughed and, ah, "Okay, whatever." And then, uh, so I got her going and started teaching her, uh, and a week passed. And at the end of the week, she looks at me and she's like, you were absolutely right. I've learned more about actually what being a designer is mm-hmm. than, than I've learned in, 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 in my college career. And I was like, I wish you could have talked to me about four years ago. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> and then, but going to your question, like, She's the first person that's that I've hired. Now I've done some like collaborations and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but she's the first person I've hired as an employee of myself, as employee of my company, to where, you know, I'm 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 offloading some of the stuff that that is not necessarily so illustrative heavy, but is still kind of like where I can art direct. Because ultimately I'm trying to use this huge library of artwork that I have, you know, mm-hmm. have created and built up and to create more products with that. That have that same kind of feel and uh, exclusivity, uh, 
so that we can have more products and in inventory so that I could, you know, experiment with something else, mm-hmm. another idea and not have to worry about if I'm not drawing playing cards, we're not making any money. And we're kind of, we're kind of like, we're not, we're not, we're not at the point where if I stop drawing, we stop making money. We're kind of like in the middle of that transition of like, we've already kind of started putting in, in, in kind of in the framework of like what that path looks like. And, you know, and I think by the end of the year, we'll be even further along that track of like, when the, when the new year comes, you know, we'll be even, even in a better situation to where we'll have a thriving business that is not dependent on me having to draw every day. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I'll be able to keep pushing the boundaries of what we do to keep creating these, you know, these, these crazy products that, uh, that, you know, hopefully no one's ever seen before. Are you uh, able to be productive because you have Steven? Steven, my, uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, he, he is your uh, admin, uh, secretary. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what would he be? <laughs> Production manager? You know, I call him like, I call him my assistant. Um, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to remember what my wife said. When we were interviewing Steven, Steven worked, so for, and for context, Steven is like, Steven works for me. He's my production assistant, assistant, and he basically keeps me in line with myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to remember what my wife said when we were, when we were uh, interviewing Stephen. She basically said something like, "Your your main job is to not to do whatever I say and to keep me happy, but her like she said, your main job is to keep Jackson." on track with himself. Hmm. Uh, and it is definitely, I mean, it has definitely really helped because I don't spend, I mean, most, all of my work time is spent right here hmm. in my home office, in my home studio. Uh, and that's where I create everything that I do. And, uh, and I kind of distract, I distract the guys yeah. and the girls at work because I want to go there and you know, I want to play <laughs> ping pong and I want to make coffee and right. I want to do this and that. And like, uh, and I've got a really good crew and they've kind of really found their place and found their kind of like, they've really become attached to Kings Wild. And Steven does a really good job of kind of like heading up kind of the, the production side mm-hmm. of it. And I've kind of got a counterpart to Steven named Justin, who is, is kind of like the, 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 the fulfillment facilities, inventory, all that, that kind of back end that does that kind of heads that up. So Steven is, uh, Steven, I mean, my entire crew all serve a very specific role and, and I couldn't do it without, without any of them because mainly, I know, it's, I know what my wife said, my wife said, your job is to allow Jackson to draw more mm. and whatever you're doing, it needs to be to that focused goal. at getting Jackson to stop doing stuff that he, but he's not drawing mm-hmm. because that's where my weaknesses are. And that's where I end up screwing up. I mean, I screw up a lot with the drawing, but that's where I really screw up is when I'm like handling stuff. That's not drawing those mm-hmm. kind of details. <laughs> and so, and, and because of that, I've been able to draw more. And so, you know, it, our company's more productive. Our company has more revenue because we're making more products and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I heard a motivational speech once just in passing one day. I was somehow I was on the radio and the guy said, everyone, like, your first hire should be a, a personal assistant. 
mm. especially if you're creative, because it takes all the, the things you don't like to do and that maybe are distracting away. And yeah. I, and the funny thing is, is, is Steven was the perfect person for that because, you know, as he's, you know, he's worked for me about a year now. And as he started doing those things, he, you know, he came to me a couple of weeks ago and he was just like, you know, I, you know, cause I kind of like, I wanted, I had a, I had coffee with him just to like kind of like take a barometer of where he was and, and how he felt about things. He was like, I have, I have really started to love all the things that I do. Like, I feel like that what I'm doing for you is right in my strengths and I really find a lot of fulfillment in it. And I'm like, man, that's great. I think that's awesome. And I'm saying that for his standpoint, mm -hmm. that's great for you. I want you to continue to do that. And I'm also saying that from my standpoint, because I'm in my head, I'm like, I'm so glad you love it because I hate that stuff. <laughs> and I can't right. do that because I, I'll just yeah. set myself up for failure doing that kind of stuff. Hmm. That's huge. Um, <clears throat> when did you move fully digital in your arting? Oh man, I moved, I moved fully digital. I've never not been digital. I don't think well, in, in my professional well, career. How old are you? I'm almost 40. Okay. So 39. So you're younger than me then. All right. Um, yeah, cause I, I haven't either. I've been in the digital photography world and I've lived in Photoshop from the beginning for me and I've been doing oh, yeah. this for 17 years. So when I, when I, you know, when I was in college, I was doing some, you know, traditional stuff. Uh, once again, my worthless six years in college, you know, and I'm not saying that traditional stuff is not, is, is worthless cause it's not if done, if done with the, the end product in mind, mm -hmm. uh, because for me, the end product is what is the only thing that matters and how I get from, if how I, how I get to the start, the end product doesn't matter. And I've just, I have just found that not only from a productivity standpoint, but from a, a distribution standpoint of content to my followers, mm -hmm. the, the creation process and me being transparent about the creation process to me is just as important as the final product that people are getting in their hands. And so j doing it digitally just is, is, is just, it's, it's just the e way easier for me to dis distribute that kind of content to people. And it has always been like that because I was a professional artist way before, you know, before YouTube came around, uh, you know, and so, but it wasn't until kind of like, I got my company going and started doing that, that all that kind of like that, the new kind of the new paradigm of content and distribution of content kind of came around. Mm. But in terms of me being digital, I've never not professionally not been digital. Have you, uh, how long have you run on that big Cintiq? Uh, let's see. I've had a Cintiq for at least three or four years. Uh, and before that I would have like a little Intuos pad. Mm -hmm. Game game changer, the Cintiq when you went to full for me screen. absolutely yeah like it's the one, it's I mean it's expensive but it's the like it's like the one piece of equipment that is worth that's like it's one of the most valuable pieces of equipment that I own mm -hmm. because everything everything is everything I create is on it everything that I create is on it uh, and you're just and now you're making me nervous that I don't have a second Cintiq like sitting. <laughs> In like my closet, right. just, just in case waiting. this one breaks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but for me, it was a game changer because yeah. just because of the the way that I work and the way that I draw, especially my art style, which is usually line line heavy engraving style, uh, which is really easy on a Cintiq. So 
it was a game changer for me. Okay, that was the first thing I saw. You just you just triggered me. That's okay. the first thing I saw from you, and then I went, "Holy crap, this guy's insane!" You were drawing, you were doing that, engraving lines on. Uh, was it? I wouldn't have been Robin Hood because you've had that deck for a while, or you haven't had that for a while, have you? Uh uh-uh. uh. Um, I mean, I've had it for. I mean, it was that was uh, last year's uh, October deck. Uh, it may, it might have been. Uh, anyway, you it, it was a you were doing the it was a time lapse of all that line work, and uh-huh. I was just I showed it to my wife. I said, "This is mesmerizing." And insane, um, and then from then on, then you just you you filled my my Instagram. So thanks a lot. Nice, um, but yeah, it's yeah. that now. Have you ever? It's, well, I got to go back now. Yeah. You, you reminded me about something because you asked me about if I'm all digital. Mm-hmm. I did because of my love of like engraving, like intaglio printing and engraving of like like the late 1800s and that kind of stuff. Uh, about oh man, it's, it's golly, time flies. Like it's been three years now. Uh, I I did this deck called, and I called it intaglio. And intaglio, for people that don't know, is a form of printmaking where you take a copper, you could take a copper printing plate and you basically, with a metal tool, you carve out a design. Mm-hmm. And then you, then you roll ink onto that plate and then you wipe it off and then ink is left inside the carving line that you created by carving the metal out. Oh, yeah. And then you put that plate in through a press with a piece of paper on it mm-hmm. and then it transfers that thing. So I did a I did a deck of cards called Intaglio where uh and I had this whole engraving like this hand engraving rig in my house in my shop uh <laughs> to where I had these copper printing plates and I hand engraved 54 plates. So I hand engraved with a little, with a little, like a hand engraver, like this is like really not digital. So this is the only oh, thing not digital that I've done in a long time. Yeah, where I hand engraved all of these, every index card, all the number cards, all the court cards, the ace of spades, the back design, and I think I spent like 150 hours. It was ridiculous. Uh, wow. And then I had a guy in New York uh, that's like a like a traditional bookbinder and engraver. He he put the he I sent him my plates and he pressed these plates and we made this deck of cards called Intaglio, which mm-hmm. I'll, I got one right here, but oh yeah, it's just the audio show. So we don't have really a video, but it's like, it's like this thick. It's like three inches thick because mm-hmm. the, the, each print is like duplex. The back design is duplexed on the front. Oh, so but it's you like go a, on my, a double thick card or triple. Thick? Oh yeah. You can't shuffle it. You can't shuffle it. You can't really play with it. It's just like an art piece really. <laughs> yeah. But it was, it was, you know, those are on my YouTube channel and you can go see like, you can see me engraving those printing plates and it's mm. just like, uh, you know, I love doing that. Yeah. Um, and that's just, uh, that's a lot of inspiration of why a lot of the art that I do now. Uh, what you probably saw was me doing one of my Lord of the Rings cards because around October last year was when I was really, when I was really kind of flushing out a lot of the Lord of the Rings cards that were that kind of engraving style. Mm-hmm. Either way, it sucked me in. So yeah, that's good. Now, so. <laughs> right. <laughs> And now I have the stinking decks coming every month. Whatever. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> it's fascinating. Um, you love the. You, uh, I read one interview with you a while back, um, where your love of currency design mm-hmm. was kind of the an instigator of your of some of this the feel. What's uh-huh. your favorite piece of currency? Uh, my favorite piece of currency is a. Uh, there was this uh, group of three 
notes that were printed in 1886 called the education. They call them the educational notes. And I got one right here. I don't know if my, I don't know if the camera can see it. Right. Mm. Oh, yeah. This, this is an inking that I did. It's like six feet wide or whatever. Oh, man. Uh, but it was called, uh, they were called the educational notes because they had these really beautiful allegory, you know, allegory imagery on it. Mm-hmm. And it was incredible, just like these beautiful pieces of artwork on these three different things. And they were called educational notes because they, all the allegory imagery and illustrations taught about something mm. uh, that was happening at the time. So mm-hmm. like the one that's on my wall, uh, it's like it, there's a woman in the middle and she's holding up a light bulb and she represents electricity. And on this, cause it was about the time that the light bulb was coming into play. Okay. And then beside her was like a chariot with horses and the guy was holding a lightning bolt and that represented like commerce. Um, but these were absolutely incredible pieces of currency. Uh, but the thing about it was, is a, the girl was bare, bare chested. So she was showing her, she was showing her breast on the, the currency. And because they were so, because they were so arted up and because she was bare breasted, there was a bankers, there was this group of bankers in Boston that started this campaign to like stop the Bureau of Engraving and Printing from, from printing producing these. them. Really? From producing them. And so like these three notes were produced for like two or three years only. Mm-hmm. And then it was it was after this rebuttal from these stupid bankers that didn't like her boobs being out and the and this beautiful artwork that was the most beautiful currency I've ever, I think that has ever existed. It was because of them that the kibosh was put on these beautiful, these beautifully designed and illustrated currencies. And is what is what started what we now know as the U S greenback of mm-hmm. what it looks like now. Uh, now they're, you know, they're iconic and stuff like that. And they've kind of gotten a little bit better over the years, but it was the retaliation of these educational notes that that started that kind of like they had to tear they had to tear the they had to burn the house down and then it started what we know as the next the next series of of notes is what started the kind of like construct of what we know of as you know modern currency u.s currency but there's the, the educational notes uh and then there's one that has this uh native american chief named running antelope uh it's just huge. It's a $5 silver certificate about the same time. And it's just got this cool, he's got a cool headdress on. He looks like a boss. He's on the front of this $5 silver certificate. That's my, those are my favorite ones. And they're all in, and they're all those court cards that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. The educational note, running antelope. They're in that deck that you've got right there, that Fiddle 52. Fantastic deck. Mm-hmm. It's, the imagery's yeah. fan, phenomenal. Thank you. It really is. <clears throat> it's very cool. Um, you mentioned coffee earlier. Uh, yes, I love coffee. In digging around the uh, Instagrams, the interwebs, there was some uh, King's Wild coffee at one point, was there not? Mm-hmm. Is there still? There is still. We're just kind of waiting. We we uh, we there. We're. It's definitely not the thing that's on our front burners. But about five about. years ago, <laughs> huh? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, so about five years ago, going back to that verse, mm-hmm. you know, like. Working with my hands, you know, minding my own business, like learning new skills so that I'm not dependent on other people. Mm-hmm. I love coffee and I got sick and tired of drinking bad coffee and paying for coffee. And so I started going through 
these different ideas of, of, of plans for a coffee roaster. And so I started just making these different coffee roasters and trying to figure out how to do that. And then I ended up, I ended up fabricating, you know, I got, I was in my shop with a welder and some steel. Wait, you actually made an, an actual mechanical roaster? Heck yeah, dude. <laughs> Absolutely. And about five years ago, I, I fabricated this roaster and now I roast all my own coffee and my wife will not drink anybody else's coffee, but the the stuff that I roast for. And if I'm not making her a cup of coffee at nine o'clock, she's getting pissed. Mm. <laughs> but, but my, that's my why brain is always, you know, that's why she encouraged you to do this Don's early life. Oh, thing. Of course, of course. <laughs> so, but my, my mind is always in that mode of like, take what I love to do and then figure out how to make money at it. Mm. And it's it, it, just that kind of entrepreneurial thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've, I felt like I was getting, I, I felt like I was getting really good at making coffee. I think my coffee is just as good or better than anybody else's. And so it just one thing led to another. And that's kind of what born, you know, birthed King's wild coffee. And we're just kind of, honestly, we're just kind of waiting around because we're, we're in the process of building a new building and in that building is going to have a commercial kitchen that has a place for our an actual roaster, Sweet. not a roaster that I've, that I've fabricated. <laughs> right. And so we can actually get permitting and the health not a moonshine bucket in the back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we're just kind of waiting around for all that kind of like, you know, legal stuff right. to, <laughs> to, to happen. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Kingswell coffee. It's a, it's a, it's a real deal. It just, um, and it's still in the works. On the, uh, you have some props behind you that I can see. There's some knives on the wall, but there's also some brown. Those are knives. Those are swords. Sorry. It's (laughs) a big difference. (laughs) They are quite a ways away. Yeah. (laughs) Um, That's not a little dagger for your pocket. Yeah, this one's like, this one's like 52 inches long. (laughs) It's it's not a a toothpick. Uh, And is that whiskey on your shelf there? On on your table? Oh, yes. Yes. Are you you a whiskey whiskey fan? Are you a scotch fan? I I like both. I like both, and that's another thing that we're working on. Is I will no, have Kings I will Wild have my scotch own, or whiskey? Really? I will have my own distillery. Uh, I will have my own distillery one day. So I I, just, I will trip make a trip down for that. Awesome, <laughs> awesome. We the funny uh, the funny story. I was in a. I did a deck called the Edred the Gizzard, which is a deck that's in in honor of my grandfather. His name was Edred. And he had this, he had this rooster that was just mean. And so all the kids were scared of this rooster. And so they started calling my granddad, Edred the Gizzard. And it was inspired by (laughs) rye whiskey. And so I made the whole thing like a rye whiskey label. And we like blended some whiskey and stuff like that and made some bottles, stuff like that. But when I lived in Austin, I had a really good friend of mine named Ben. And he was a avid bourbon, Mm. bourbon uh, fanatic. And every year, uh, every year he would, you know, he would blend some whiskey, blend some bourbon, and he would kind of give it out as kind of a Christmas gift. And Ben is Jewish, and I'm, I'm evangelical Christian, and so we came together and united. Uh, and I designed, I started designing labels for his Christmas gifts, and we would come together. It's funny that he was Jewish and he was giving out Christmas gifts, but <laughs> so we come together and we would make this it's called, and, it's called and capitalizing we ma- we fab- on your environment, yeah. and we. <laughs> And we fabricated, we had to come up with a name for our distillery. And so our distillery was the Jew and the Gentile distillery. That's awesome. Uh, and so, and every time I think to myself, oh, I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to have a distillery one day. And so what am I going to call it? Kingswall Whiskey, Kingswall Distillery. And every time I try to come up with a name, I'm like, 
nothing is good. Nothing is as good as the Jew and the Gentiles. <laughs> well, it, it could work because you've got your king head. Just put a yarmulke on the back. You're done. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. So, and a lot of it's just like the idea of taking two, you know, two opposites and bring them together to create something. Mm-hmm. And the Jew and the Gentile. It was, a, it was kind of like the idea of the kind of, not really a distillery, but kind of like a blended a blended whiskey, blended bourbon kind of thing where we just take whatever drinks that we really like, whether it's some Irish whiskey over here and some American bourbon over here and blend it and just create something that we like to drink. And then that's what we're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's expensive, but that's fun. Yeah. Uh, and it's then, expensive. You can sell it. <laughs> well, there you go. Right. You also uh, dabbled in the pipe making business, correct? A little bit. Uh, it really or was that just more of a hobby? That was a hobby. Okay. Yeah, that was a hobby. Me, me, and dabbling <laughs> in the pipe making business. Yeah. Uh, just because they're cool, or uh, did you actually utilize them ever? I utilized them. Yeah. Uh, extensively. Um, <laughs> you know, it's kind of a thing. Like I have all the. I would. I go through these. I go through these things where, like, I'll have a hobby. I'm interested in it. And I'm interested in it. I'm like very addictive personality. Well, mm. like, I'm super interested in it for like an eight month period. Yeah, then it's done. And then I realize it's taking me away from me drawing, mm. playing. Like it's taking me, it's taking me away from drawing. Uh, when when I would rather I would rather draw than breathe. And so I I quickly, and and I've gotten to the point now, I got to the point now where I really don't even bother with it anymore. I don't bother with kind of like the old hobbies that I used to do, like woodworking and pipe making and that kind of stuff. And I still have all the tools and stuff to do that, but I just have kind of like accepted, I've accepted who I am Mm -hmm. in the sense that I'm the most happy when, when, if I'm not with my family, every ounce of myself is doing what I love to do. And even though I like those hobbies, uh, they would always kind of fall short creatively to what I love to do. Um, and so I, I, I don't even mess with hobbies anymore. Uh, <laughs> like I don't even really have any hobbies anymore. Now, not drinking, not drinking whiskey is not really a hobby. But you can work drink, and do that. Right? And you're already yeah. at home. So I'm already at home. I'm sitting down. There's a glass right, right here. <laughs> I've got to hydrate, right? And, and, and this the is the same thing as drinking water, on the right? Wall, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, I'll cross that question off. No pastimes. <laughs> yeah, no pastimes. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> one of your lives, um, you mentioned, I think you, were, you had a blank slate and you were starting from scratch and you pulled up your uh, the Museum of Cigarette Packaging. Yes. and I love that website. From then, it's now marked on my computer because it's so gorgeous. Yeah. I have a whole, I have an entire series called the Table Players. It's an entire subscription. Uh, we do, we do six decks a year. Is that cigarette now. packaging? It's all based on really? taking, taking inspiration from all those mm-hmm. incredibly weird, some really cool, some really not really cool. But it's just me. It's just an, like an exercise in. It's just an exercise that happens to produce a product. Mm-hmm. So the whole Table Players subscription is. Me looking at that website, getting getting inspiration from those packages, and then designing playing cards because playing cards and cigarettes are about the same size, so yeah. the form factor is about the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really just like an exercise of me 
you know, me working through, you know, going beyond, oh, that's, that's a school package. Like it's me working through why I think it's cool, mm-hmm. why, why I'm drawn to it by me recreating something similar in the same kind of design style, yeah. colors, themes, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's, that, it's, that website's awesome. All I got to do is push space bar and it reloads and yeah. you just, yeah. it's like, you just whoever, keep going, man. Whoever thought of it is a genius because it's so, it's one thing and that's it. It's very simple, mm-hmm. very straightforward. Yeah. I love it. It is. Fantastic. Yeah, we're going. I mean, I love it so much that we're going from six decks this year. We're going for the twelve decks next year. So really? we're going to do one every month. Yeah, on the table players, they're all based on. And that's one. That's the thing that June, that new designer that mm-hmm. I've hired. That's the that's the task that I tasked her with. Uh, uh, and she she really knocked it out of the park. And she's already designed thirteen, uh, thirteen boxes and the back designs for next year's table players subscription. Now you that series is the the face is all the same correct yeah it's just I, have, the backs I have and the two boxes sets i have two sets of what mm-hmm. i call standard court cards gotcha. and the standard court cards are like what most people know of playing cards mm-hmm. but they are uniquely illustrated by me i designed them i didn't just like take a you know i didn't take the the default uh court cards yeah. that you get from like bicycle when you want to print your own cards like a lot of people do but I created my own standard set of court cards. I, I created a kind of a new one. And then I created one that's kind of like this has a kind of antique vintage look. Mm-hmm. And then with that, with that subscription specifically, uh, because it's not necessarily thematic, like my subscriptions are like a book, a Peter Pan deck or Robin Hood. Yeah. They're not thematic. They're more kind of like traditional playing cards. And that's why they're called the table players because they're meant to be able to, you know, to play table games with whether it's poker or, you know, spades or whatever have you but ever... wrapped in the packaging of old 50s and 60s cigarette which packaging. is um, stunning I, I i listened to a talk from aaron draplin once and he oh yeah he talked about going out and just finding in rummage sales and garage sales just art you know yeah. old packaging on boat labels or whatever and just absolutely cap- just for inspiration and this is that i mean yeah the i mean i could spend i could spend hours on that yeah that russian website it, it's crazy yeah because just the font choices. Um, oh yeah, yeah, it's mind blowing, mind blowing. Um, did the and we kind of touched on this earlier, but did the uh, shutdowns, the the government controlled pandemic response, did that affect you guys um, much other than maybe some production stuff? You know, honestly, you know, I know that the I know the shutdowns, especially in twenty twenty, you know, were really bad for a lot of people, mm-hmm. and I know that it affected. I know that it affected a lot of people in a lot of negative ways. And I know that before I was talking about, you know, my own, my own kind of view towards, you know, employers saying, well, you need to stay at home. You're not essential. Right. Like I know it affected a lot of people really negatively and which, which is, which sucks all around. Mm -hmm. But, you know, fortunately for us, you know, our business really flourished during that time because, (laughs) <laughs> you were you were literally forcing yeah. people to be at home right and be on their computer yep. and they were having to find stuff to do and to a lot of people like oh i know playing cards can fill my time uh i'll buy a deck of playing cards mm-hmm. you know i mean cuz they were I mean, what else they they had to sit in their house right. they couldn't leave and so so our business i think the cup you know the coupling you know my subscription system being kind of new my subscription, playing card subscription being new and the fact that I really didn't start doing ads, you know, paying for ads until last year 
you know, that at the being at the right place at the right time and then everybody being at home, you know, really helped our business flourish. Mm-hmm. You know. Is it true that you have one lung? I do have one lung. Only. <laughs> Only. When uh, the story I'm about to tell you is completely 100% true and uh, no, okay. no factual parts have been made up. When I was two years old, I choked on a corn dog and part of that corn dog went down in my lung and aspirated in my lung. My right lung collapsed. I got pneumonia. I was in the hospital for like nine months. Uh, I lived in kind of a rural West Texas town that didn't really have, you know, this is 84. <laughs> didn't have really like the, you know, top notch medical facilities. And is that why it they took, to, you, took you nine months? <laughs> well, I was sick. I was sick oh, okay. for like nine months and they, I couldn't get better. I was getting like pneumonia, respiratory infections, the croup, all kinds of stuff. And the fact that my lung had been deflated. So they ended up, they ended up, you know, just got so infected that it was kind of like, you know, your leg getting gangrene. Mm-hmm. They just had to, they had to, do you call it amputation if you take out a lung? I don't know. It's good by me, but probably so they, not. The, yeah. So they took out my right lung. And, you know, interestingly enough, that's when I started to draw because I was in the hospital for like, I was two and I was in the hospital for like eight months, almost a year. Um, and I remember, distinctly remember my mom always feeding me pieces of paper and I would draw, I would start drawing. I started drawing in the hospital and I remember it vividly. I would draw pictures. I would draw like tall ships, tall wooden ships with sails and, and castles while I was watching, you know, James Bond marathons on the TV in the hospital. Too. Yeah. And so like, that's like, that's when it started for me. But yes, huh. you are correct. I only have one one. That's like every time I breathe into the microphone, <laughs> it's like, it sounds like I'm like in a hollow cave or something. Um, did that really affect your childhood much or were, did you just adapt? It happened, it happened when I was so young uh-huh. that I really don't, I really don't know anything different. Uh, it affect, it's affected my later life more than it affected my childhood because mm-hmm. I was young and resilient. You know, I mean, the, the very, I mean, the reason why we moved from Austin to Tennessee where we live now is is literally because uh, whatever was in the in Austin where we lived, I was allergic to. And oh, it the was, pollen, the mold. Yeah, yeah they've the, got all kinds the, of crazy there. The cedar, yeah. the pollen, mm-hmm. the ragweed. Like I was allergic to it, and I was like basically mm-hmm. sick all the time, mm-hmm. all year round, on prednisone, on antibiotics, and I was just like, I can't do this anymore. And we had visited Chattanooga before, and I literally like got here and started breathing better. That's amazing. And it's funny too, because Chattanooga is really not historically a good, great place for allergies, <laughs> but whatever's here, I'm not allergic to. Right. And my health like shot through the roof when we moved here. And so, yeah. And that's why I say it really, it's, it's affected my later, later life than it has than my early life. Mm-hmm. You have two girls or three? Three. I have Claire. She's uh, tw- uh, 12. Scarlett is nine and Olive will be three on Thursday. Olive. Olive. Are you going to make a Popeye deck? No. No. <laughs> That's too many licenses for It that. probably is, right? Yeah. Oh, speaking of that. <laughs> huh? Speaking of that, would you uh, ever cu- custom design for like a casino or something? You know, or, I get or do they not do all that? the time. I get asked that all the time. The thing about casinos is because of like gaming laws... Uh-huh. 
all of the cards, especially the cards that you use in in right. like in the casinos with gambling, mm-hmm. they have to be very standardized. They have to be very uh, kind of like uh, disability uh, friendly. So like you gotta have huge indexes, be yeah. able to be read. And so like you're not gonna ever find my my Wizard of Oz deck on a craps table. I mean not a craps table, but a, a blackjack right. table <clears throat> with with grandma and grandpa <laughs> that are like ninety. What is that a jack or is that a king? You know, it's just here's, not gonna happen. Well, here's the bigger issue. It's got nothing to do with grandma. It's got everything to do with Big Brother and the camera above. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sure they that, can't. Right? They can't see from the camera what the cards. Are, <laughs> right. So, yeah, I get that. I get that as time. And also, it's funny that everybody, everybody has ideas of what kind of decks that I should do, and nine times out of ten, uh. <laughs> He's not going to be listening to this, but I got a brother-in-law. <laughs> and every time, every time I see him, he's got another deck idea of what I should do as a deck. But his ideas always involve like 50 layers of licensing. And <laughs> he's like, you know, you know what you should do, Jackson? You should do a deck of cars of all of the NCAA oh, football geez. teams. Like every court card is another college team. I'm like, you know what? That sounds like a great idea. That sounds like more than one license that mm-hmm. I've got. <laughs> right. Right. And then he's, and it, every time he comes out to me, he's, bro, you know what you should do? You should do a deck that's like blah, blah, blah. And it's like always like, okay, that's under 15 layers of licensing. <laughs> so is, is he always somewhat inebriated when he rings these up? No, it's oh, just, okay. he's, he's actually. <laughs> He's actually a teetotaler, and he's never inebriated. Well, there you go. <laughs> it just, for some reason, my impersonation of him at this Is very that. moment Perfect. was a slobbering drunk. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> hey, Jackson, you know what you should do? You should do a dick. <laughs> oh, well, <clears throat> this has been fun. I really appreciate this uh, insight into your brain. It's been yeah. kind of cool. Um, You know I guess, you know, you said about pastimes. I don't know why I'm bringing this up. Good. But if I turn the camera around, all in front of me, you would see copious amounts of Legos. Like built. <laughs> Legos. Built Legos. Uh, themed or all doesn't matter? No. These are legit, legit sets. No, no, no. I, I mean like uh, in a series or just random doesn't matter. Wait, I can show you. I know that you're <clears throat> on a video, but I can show you because I have another camera. Oh, Aha. Uh-huh. See, when I was a child, the pirate world was my jam. So, yeah. In that so, big time. So, the funny thing is, there was a ship. There was this pirate. It was the Caribbean Clipper. Mm, yeah. And it came out like in 86. And I remember having it. And I remember it was like the most epic Christmas gift I ever had. And I remember putting it together. And then, so I grew up, moved off, left my parents. And then my parents were kind of cleaning house and they brought to me like my old little Lego tub. And in the Lego tub of all my Legos, I pull out like this brown hole of the ship. And I was like, that's the Caribbean Clipper. And so I went through this, I went through like this three month phase where I was scouring the internet, finding like missing parts, finding instruction manuals. And I literally dissected this tub of loose. To to rebuild it? uh, Well, I, I, I dissected this tub of loose parts and I searched which 
which sets those specific parts came mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. on different like databases. And I recreated all of the sets that I had when I was a kid. So like there's a few pirate ships, there's like some like spaceships and stuff like that. And like the space shuttle. And so it was like this, it was like this incredibly <laughs> fun, like investigative trip where I was like, okay, I've got these parts and I'm separating them. Okay. I'm missing these parts. Cause I have the, I have the parts list for this set. It was so fascinating. And now that, I've got them all. That's awesome. Because I had now I'm a grown up, and I have <laughs> and you, you know now I can buy whatever the heck I want. So I buy <laughs> right. the uh, you know I buy the the Barracuda Bay pirate ship that was like way too expensive for my <laughs> right. public school teacher parents to buy, but now I got it. It's right there by the Caribbean Clipper. <laughs> right. Yeah, I I think I had that that ship, or one just or one very similar because yep. I had that. There was a uh, a pirate island set yep. that I had. Yep. And then uh, for Christmas, it would have been like 89 or 88, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, my aunt and uncle gave me a castle, Ooh, like yeah. a big medieval castle. Yep. And that yep. thing, castle, I remember it being- the castles and the pirates yeah. were my jam. And then, of course, my mother, I, they will listen to this, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love them. She's an angel. <laughs> but uh, my little nephews, or no, no, they were cousins at the time, sorry. Their, her nephew, my cousins, um, were much younger than me. And I was forced to let them play with my Legos. Oh. It never went well, ever. Never. They were always getting never. broken, and it just... And so now I was hoping that my boys, I've got three boys and one girl, and I was hoping that the two older ones would be into Legos. And early on, we bought them way more than we could. And now we have a bucket that's probably... It, it feels like a 50-gallon garbage bin. It's not that big, but it feels like it. <laughs> yeah. Just full. Yeah. I mean, there's got to be hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of dollars of Legos in that bucket. Oh, yeah. Uh, and they're all apart. Yeah. And it makes me want to scream, so I don't look at it anymore. <laughs> but my <laughs> oldest now, your- <laughs> Right. My oldest now, well, they both are. They're, one's 12, one's almost 15. So they're realizing it's cool to have them together. And so now they have the rooms, and they're wanting to decorate with these things. And Of course, my oldest has got a job, and so he's looking at... <laughs> The big stuff. He showed me yeah. one that's like eight hundred dollars. Oh yeah, like, that's probably not what you should spend your money on, but it's cool. It is. I got the typewriter. I got. They just came out with the typewriter, like an actual traditional Ooh, mechanical like an, typewriter. Oh, and it works, or it moves. Yeah, it works. Oh. It's. I it should be delivered today. I'm gonna nerd out and. <laughs> And so I, much for drawing. Like, I talk about, I have no hobbies. I don't waste any time, blah, blah, blah. But I'm going to leave this podcast and I'm going to go upstairs and build some Legos. For three days. It'll be great. For three days. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Kingswildproject.com. Anywhere else? Uh, where, where's the best place? Instagram, uh, YouTube, Facebook? The Instagrams the and YouTube. Instagram is Kingswild Project and YouTube is also Kingswild Project. So why did that name come out? I mean, it come uh, about. Okay. I mean, you keep asking these questions and I keep telling you stories. That's all right. So I got time. When I was in Los <laughs> Angeles, uh, uh, I taught, I taught a Photoshop class and a, uh, character development class at a, uh, visual effects school called Noman, the Noman school of visual effects in Hollywood. And in that class, the way that I taught is I basically, I would concept a character. It was for it was for it was for students that wanted to be like character designers mm. in 3D in like video games. Mm-hmm. And so my class consisted of um, you know concepting a character from scratch and then developing that character, you know the backstory and all that kind of stuff, and then building and making that character in 3D, and then making that character able to be in a video game. 
And during one of the classes, I designed this character. And it's on my website. My old website is onelunglewis.com. O-N-E-L-U-N-G-L-E-W-I-S.com. Onelunglewis.com. Uh, and he's like the first or second one. It's this redheaded kid, and his name is Tugsy. And uh, with the really mean looking eyebrows and green eyes. Yes, that's okay. him. Looks like kind of like a Chucky yep. skateboard on his back yep. with a gun. Nice. Saw so his story is he is this orphan, orphan 12 year old that lives. His parents have been killed and he lives in a zombie apocalypse world. And he rides around on a skateboard and he has a shot off shotgun. And and he's got the T-shirt that has one lung. <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh, but. But he, he rode around on a skateboard, and I had to come up with a skateboard deck design. And if you scroll down that page, the the design that I came up with was this king's head with a gas mask that I put on this skateboard. Mm. And that was the origin stories of that king's that king head with a gas mask. And that very first Kickstarter that I did, where I did a T-shirt before I thought about playing cards, was of that king's head with a sword going through like a suicide King where his sword's going through his head. And that was the very first Kickstarter that started it. And when we had a little success, I realized that I needed to, you know, to, you know, not pay the government more money than I needed to. I needed to incorporate somehow. And so we had to come up with a name for my company and that shirt was called the King's wild. And then we added the project on the end because I knew that, it wasn't just going to be t-shirts. It wasn't just going to be playing cards. Mm-hmm. I was always going to be developing these different things and different ideas. So we called it the King's Wild Project as in an idea of an, an ever-changing, evolving project that's a continuous project. Hmm. And it was all kind of spurned out of that character, Tugsy, and his skateboard design. <laughs> that's fascinating. I, I, yeah. just, I forgot to ask. I was, going to, was curious about your brand. That's where it came from. And for some reason, I've never made a skateboard. Like, I've never, like, made a skateboard with that design on it, which I should. Oh, geez. Of course you should. Hello? Yeah, it's like it's like a no-brainer. I mean, skateboards are designed to be hung on the wall anyway. Yes, of so course. So, that's art. So, yeah. you, you need to make the crazy, uh, this, the, the crazy ham-wielding lady <laughs> from the cut deck. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I want exactly. one of those. <laughs> and your, your skateboard, come on. Yeah, 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 yeah. You got nothing else going on. You got Legos to nah. build. I mean, yeah, Legos to build. I got all right. kinds of free time. Uh, favorite music? Uh, favorite music? Uh, I grew up. I grew up listening like heavy metal and speed metal, and then I got older and realized that my hearing couldn't handle that much longer. Uh, <laughs> and I also found out that I'm very distractible, if, that, if that's even a word. Mm-hmm. So now I just listen to like, like, kind of like. Uh, nerdy soundtrack music game game score music stuff that has like no EDM words to distract kind of stuff? me huh? like a, a little bit of electronic music yeah i like electronic music um you know like uh, all kinds of stuff i love classical like kind of score like cinematic music as well as like uh electronic stuff even a mix of of all that kind of stuff so fav- favorite cinematic score I have mine. Uh, you have yours? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say my, like my favorite go-to. Cinematic- I, I will fall back to this. If I'm unsure what to listen to, this will come on every time. Oh, that's interesting. See, you're kind of putting me in a spot having to narrow it down. I would say my favorite cinematic score would probably be Interstellar. Hmm. 
minus Schindler's uh, List. That's a good one. I haven't actually heard that. I mean, I've seen the movie and heard mm-hmm. the score, but I need to listen to it. I think John, uh, who was it? Uh, I don't remember who did it. Was it John Williams? Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah, Absolutely. that's probably the, the that's the heyday of Spielberg and Williams. Oh yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, hor- the movies, you know, horrific. Yeah. But the score is brilliant. Yeah. But the stuff that I've listened to, the stuff I'm listening to right now, a lot uh, that I really like uh, is this. I don't even know what you call it. If he's a DJ or whatever, his his name is Lorne L O R N, uh, and he's kind of like electronic. A lot of his stuff is kind of like dark sounding. Uh, but I love it. Uh, but the funny thing is I don't listen to a lot of actual bands like that mm-hmm. a lot anymore because if I'm working, I'm live on YouTube. So I basically oh, have to right. listen. But I've been able to find a lot of a lot of great music. Like I use a thing called Epidemic Sound, but I've been able to find a lot of good music on that because I have to I have to listen to music that I can like play on YouTube. So I don't get to listen to you know, I'm not going to throw Metallica on one of my lives and not get flagged. <laughs> of all people, that, all bands, that one. I mean, yeah, they're exactly. responsible for killing Napster. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay, here's a good question for you. <laughs> what was your very first song that you downloaded oh, on Napster? Because I have mine. What was yours? That would have been late. Uh, was that late nineties? Like ninety eight, ninety nine. For some, for some Maybe reason, ninety. Yeah, ninety eight, ninety seven, ninety eight. For some reason, something puddle of mud comes to mind, and I'm not sure if that's correct or not. <laughs> that feels like it's that feels like puddle of mud. Like, I feel like that's after, but whatever. It, it, it probably was. Um, oh, geez, because I I didn't really jump into the Napster world very much. I remember you were bear I had. Share? Uh, no, I, <laughs> I, uh, I remember really building out my MySpace page. Oh, because, yeah. And, you know, I, I had Chevelle. Chevelle's okay. um, vitamins are leading us or whatever. Okay. Uh, that, and I still really like Chevelle. I think they're a good band. But they were like the, you came to my MySpace and that's the song that started. Oh, yeah. You had to pick that song on your MySpace, Oh, bro. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it was, jeez, that was a long time ago. It was. Um, yeah. And, and then I've since, um, let's see, I moved to South Dakota in... 2008 i lived in oregon before that um i'm fairly i'm not i'm not very tall i'm not like a grungy person um and so i don't fit the bill of typical metalhead because i'm not right. i mean my wife thinks that some of the stuff i listen to she's like i can't do that because it makes me mad <laughs> so <laughs> whatever <laughs> so if i'm here working late because our studio is on main street and we live like six blocks away so if i'm working Late, I, I will lock the door and have music loud because I tend to get more done that way. Yeah. Um, but in 2007, I think, um, I, I was a big Project 86 fan. Back Project from, 86, I love Project oh, 86. Oh, um, 98, I think, was their self-titled album. That it, yeah, in my I mind, that's Project the best, 86. the best album. Uh, yeah. And then the Drawing Black Lines was the next one, which was killer. Um, you're the you're the only person I've ever met that liked Project 86. <laughs> I mean, it's not that people don't like them. It's just I've never found anybody that likes this right. random <laughs> yeah. Christian metal band. Andrew Schwab is on my list of interviews, too. I've got to figure out how to get a hold of him. Um, cool. Because he's fascinating. But, yeah, their their music was that they were going to open for, I think it was them, a band called In Flames that I'd never heard of before. Okay. 
they're from Sweden. And I mentioned that. <laughs> I mixed a live sound for a friend of mine's production company in Oregon. And so you know, he had a big music store, and so I would run front of house for him at concerts and do festivals for him. So we were talking uh, one day, and I mentioned to him and some of the other kids that worked at the store, I said, yeah, I've got tickets to go see In Flames. And their eyes just went crazy. They're like, you're going to get eaten alive at that place. Oh, it's no. It's going to be, you, you <laughs> are going dead there. Metal. <laughs> uh, the best band I've ever seen live, outside of like, you know, some old school, really high-end musicians. But yeah. metal, I've, I've probably seen them four times now live. Wait, what's their name again? In Flames. Okay. Uh, absolutely. I mean, some of their older stuff is too like driven metally for me because I hate, yeah. I'm not a screaming fan. I don't like screaming lyrics, right. but they do that a little bit. Um, and then there's a band called Memphis Mayfire that I really like too. Okay. He's a little too screamy for me, but I love their, the sound of their music is yeah. killer. But th yeah. those are kind of my go-tos. But Project 86 was my first love, and it's still... I mean, I'll go back and just totally oh, geek out of the old. That just reminds me of college. Because <laughs> <laughs> I went through like a year that all I listened to was Project 86. Uh, P.O.D., did you ever get into them at all? Oh, yeah. Yes. I yeah. had... Uh, I got me Southpaw and Snuff a Punk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the the Snuff the Punk album. Yeah. The, the album yeah. art on the front of that is yeah. that devil with the angels... Yes. I had that yes. airbrushed on the hood of my truck. <laughs> I was about to say, oh, you had an airbrush in your truck. Man, you're, it's legit, it was man. It's terrible, yeah. I, I get mocked by my friends nowadays because... You know, since we're talking about it, I'm just going to... You reminded me. Um, there's another, another an instrumental band that I like, that I, that I love, that I can always go to. They're uh, called Russian Circles. What? Yeah, you should check them out. I will. Uh, Russian Circles. They they're a heavy, they're a heavy kind of like melodic driven instrumental band, mm -hmm. uh, and they are, I think they're amazing. Really, uh, and actually, and they're kind of one of those bands that are only good. Well, you're listening to them with headphones <laughs> right. in your computer because I went to see them live and it was just like, maybe it was the venue that we were at. It was like at a Austin Austin City Limits, and it was like. Mm. It was, like bar it was probably a horrible venue and it was just noise when i saw him live <laughs> but i i think they're amazing <laughs> yeah well i i did that in uh 18 i went up and saw metallica in grand forks north dakota and i i've been because i'm a sound engineer so i've been a fan of their engineer forever his name's yeah. big mick he's this old yeah. he looks like a hobbit or no he looks like gandalf just wider than gandalf okay um big old gray beard from somewhere over there has a similar accent and uh, <laughs> we were in this huge venue, and it's in the round. So we've got their stage in the middle, and then yeah, everyone, everything's around. Well, I, of course, could give a rip about Metallica. I mean, I, yeah, I know a couple of their songs. I wanted to see it because I've seen everything that old Big Mick has done, interviews with yeah. him, all of his breakdown of their production and what they do. And so I was just geeking out about the rig they had. Yeah. Um, so I saw him in Fleeting, which was kind of cool. Made my night. The worst sound I've been to, I've oh, heard at a show. It was horrible. And I felt so bad yeah. because they're supposed to be like cutting edge. They've worked with yeah. Meyer Sound to make this phenomenal sound rig that they run with. Didn't translate well at all. <laughs> and so I was like, yeah, that was a waste of money. Yeah. But yeah. I can say I went. And that's yeah. what matters. <clears throat> so my first Napster download was uh, Wu-Tang 36 Chambers. Oh, brother. <laughs> <laughs> How long did it take? That's the real question. Uh, I probably took three class periods. 
<laughs> on the school on the school oh, computer no. at my high school. I wonder how many how many pieces or computers you were attached to. Oh, at least four. Oh, did you ever get into the the bulletin board systems, the BBS world, back in no, the old? What is that? Oh man, you're not that young. I mean, I'm 41. I'm not that old. But I don't. Uh, the BBS. It? it was like chat rooms. Um, no. And, oh yeah. Way okay. Back, okay. Way back. And it I was you. you basically get in this room, and it's just, it just looked like a command line that you were all yeah. typing into. Yeah. Um, but no. we, of course, the nerds we were. My sister and I. She's two years older than me. We would get in. Like we had a group that we were part of, and that group actually got together once a month at a pizza joint in town. Oh, that sounds like a serial killer story <laughs> waiting to happen, or cult, something, whatever. Yeah, cult, <laughs> a cult, or something else. I mean, it wasn't church. We had that group too, but it was yeah, the yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my. All right, man, it was sweet. Well, thank you, thank you, absolutely. Kingswildproject.com. Jackson, it's been fun. It's a pleasure nice getting to know you. Let's uh, let's talk again. Okay, man. Have a great day. This is The Interview. Thank you so much for listening. Ymailbank.com For all things that come out of the studio. Kingswildproject.com For all things that come out of Jackson's head. Check it out. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, Jackson. Have a wonderful day, everyone. Thank you for listening. And we will certainly see you on the next one. Have a wonderful day. People may not agree with this, but that's okay. I really don't care what other people think.